Welcome back to episode 13 of the Boundary Rider podcast and boy do we have a cracker episode lined up today for you but before we get into that, Nick Savage, Happy New Year! Yeah, Happy New Year, Locke. How was your New Year? What'd you get up to? I had a very quiet one, especially with all the new COVID restrictions in Sydney. Just wanted to take it easy, wanted to just bring in the new year and farewell 2020 and say see you later. I couldn't wait to see the back of it. What about you? Yeah, I had five friends over. We drank a little bit too much. We ate a little bit too much. We listened to some music and then I started off 2021 by watching some Avatar. It was um, quite a way to start the new year. Are we talking uh, the the animated series or the James Cameron movie? The animated series. My uh, my mates are okay. quite big fans of it and um, they were trying to get me into it and it was fine. I mean, I think if I was a when I was a kid, I enjoyed it, but um, yeah, didn't love it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we are now in 2021 and there is so much cricket scheduled for this year. It is going to be an incredible one. And we thought we'd start it off with the main man himself. We have brought out the big guns, the first episode of 2021. We are going to chat with Rob Moody, better known as Robolinda 2. Nick, he's been a big part of our lives the last sort of five, six years in particular since sort of we've had a bigger social media presence and we've been on the platforms like Twitter and YouTube more regularly. But what are your favourite memories of watching Robolinda and things like that? Well, certainly over the coronavirus lockdown, obviously we were all stuck at home and I found myself more and more going to his YouTube channel and Twitter page to watch some fairly niche highlights. But the highlight for me certainly came... I think it was in May or June when he put up every single run out of Steve Waugh throughout his international career. That was brilliant. And Shane Warne's reaction to that was just as good, really. Well, one of my favorite videos is one that he's just posted again on Monday night, uh, a compilation of Ricky Ponting runouts. Cricket does not get much sexier than that. When Ricky Ponting is picking the ball up in one arm and just that one fluid motion he's knocking down the stumps it is a beautiful sight to watch so later in the show we will be catching up with rob moody to chat all things cricket before we get into that make sure you subscribe to the boundary rider podcast wherever you get your podcasts we've also just dropped a tiktok channel where you can catch up with some of our cricket videos there and we're set to launch a youtube channel very soon where you will see probably the full interview with Rob Moody coming up very shortly. But before we get into that interview, we have to talk about the Sydney test coming up, the New Year's test starting on Thursday. Plenty of drama surrounding that, Nick. It's going to be in Sydney. We discussed that last episode, but after 50% crowds were said by Cricket Australia and Gladys in the last 24 hours, that has come back down to 25%. So we're only going to be seeing about 10, 11,000 people there at Moore Park. What have you made of the sort of this circus around the SAG over the last few days and into the new year? I do kind of feel for Cricket Australia because they made that decision to stick with the SCG. And then the next day it was announced there was another bit of an increase of COVID cases, like sort of the scariest one yet. And so I do kind of feel bad for them. If they had maybe delayed that decision another 24 hours, it could have been different. They could have got decided to go for the back foot, back-to-back in Melbourne. Um, but uh, yeah, we're in Sydney. It's going to go ahead in Sydney. The players flew up today. And yes, as you said, 25%. The only problem is if it rains, because if it does rain, then obviously all the spectators will be ducking for cover and going underneath the stands. And I think that's when the COVID safety plan kind of goes down the drain a bit. I think that's when the problem is going to come up. 
I certainly agree. And I mean, looking at the forecast, it is not good news for Sydney siders and Cricket Australia. The first three days in particular are looking like there will be at least some rain on each of the days, which... Oh, every year, every year. Every year. And it's just going to give those Victorians more ammunition to, to throw shade at the SCG test, which is even more frustrating. I mean, they tried to avoid it by pushing it back four days, but the rain just followed them. It's just no matter what the Sydney siders do, there's always going to be rain at the SCG test every damn year. Well, I guess the other thing we have to talk about with this whole new bubble situation in Sydney that the players are going into is what it means for the Gabba test. Now, at the moment, everything is still going ahead as scheduled, but India have thrown sort of a spanner in the work saying they don't want to go to Brisbane if they're going to be holed up in a, a hotel and only be able to train and go to the ground and go back to the hotel. And while many are saying maybe it's just so they can get out of playing at the Gabba where they have an awful record, it is, I guess, a, le- a legitimate concern that they were coming out to Australia not thinking that these were going to be the conditions that they were going to have to abide by. But I guess at the same time, as sort of Nathan Lyon said, both teams have to suck it up. Yeah, I think the latest I've heard is that the Queensland government may allow them to mingle within their hotel. So I think Cricket Australia is going to sort of book out a hotel or a section of a hotel and within that area, the Indian and Australian squads can mingle among themselves. Um, And that is obviously better than being stuck in your room when you're not training or playing. Um, But regardless, it it is a bit of an ugly sort of end to the series. And whether whether they do stay in Sydney um, for that fourth test, I don't know. I hope not because I think the people in Brisbane deserve the chance to see some test cricket. But um, hopefully it does get resolved and some sort of compromise can be reached. And uh, yeah, that fourth test match, that final test match can take place back at the Gabba. Even as a Sydney sider, I want the fourth test to be in Brisbane just because it makes not only Australia unbeatable in a sense, but it makes the summer feel complete that we've gone around the country. We've had the test in four of the five major cities and it just feels right that it should be in Brisbane. So I really hope that they can come to sort of an agreement that both the BCCI and Cricket Australia are agreeable with because it would be a huge shame if everything is forced around and we have to see two tests at the SCG. It would just it just wouldn't feel right, especially with the less crowds here in Sydney. I guess the other thing we have to talk out about at the Indian team is this restaurant breach. Uh I think a group of five or so players were were seen in a Melbourne restaurant, mingling in public, sitting down inside, and while BCCI confirmed that everyone got tested, they all came back negative, I guess it was a pretty clear breach of the the bubble regulations that had been put in place. Well, yeah, it is very strict, obviously, the biosecurity protocols that both squads have to go through. And I think what just happened, it was New Year's Day, so most restaurants and cafes were closed, and they were just looking for a place to eat, and they were just a bit lazy. They went to an indoor-seated area without their masks on, and then there was that initial sort of threat that um, one of the players had actually hugged a cricket fan, but then that fan came out on Twitter and clarified, no, he, he didn't actually hug Rishabh Pant, I believe it was. So, again, just little things that sort of prove once again, how serious this is, like on the whole, Australia has it fairly under control when compared to the rest of the world. But obviously one little mistake can ruin a whole test series. As we've seen from England and South Africa recently, most of that tour was cancelled due to COVID cases. So they do have to be so careful. It's it's ridiculously strict. It's almost unfair, but it, it is there for a reason. And I mean, what is it? $300 million for a four test series. I mean, one little mistake can screw up that whole thing and, and, massively jeopardize both organizations definitely so i think this is a perfect example where 
both sets of players have been made aware of how serious a small breach like this is. So hopefully no one else will be looking at doing anything similar in the weeks to come. Now, the last thing we have to look at ahead of the Sydney test, Australia's batting lineup, David Warner's come out and said, he's not at hundred percent, but that's okay. He's ready to play. He's David Warner. That, that, he doesn't need to be at hundred percent. Who are you picking alongside him with uh, Joe Burns already back in, with the Brisbane Heat in the Big Bash? Well, I'm just concerned about whether Warner, him not being 100% warrants selection. I mean, can mm. he, last I heard a couple of days ago when he spoke to the media, he admitted he was struggling to take slip catches on both sides of his body. I mean, if he can't sprint, then he pretty much can only stand in the slips. And if he can't even take slip catches, then you can't really hide him anywhere else in the field. So I don't know if he even should be playing, but they seem pretty adamant he will play. But to pair with him, I think they will go with Will Pukowski. Um He had his... It is worrying to say that just yesterday he had his first net session. Um, but from what we've heard, he he batted very, very well. Um, he's in physically doing very well uh, similarly. But uh, hopefully he does get that chance to play test cricket. Uh, if it's not, it's Sydney at Brisbane. But otherwise, then I would potentially stick with Matthew Wade opening and have Travis Head in the middle order. But if Bukowski does come in, then uh, I think Matthew Wade will slip down and unfortunately Travis Head might miss out on a spot in the starting 11. I guess I'm of the school of thought that I kind of agree that Warner, if he's if he's okay to play, if he's at 90, 95%, that that's good enough because he is such a talent at the top of the order, especially not only at the Sydney cricket ground, but in Australian conditions. And oh, I'm going with Pekovsky. I, I like that idea of Warner Pekovsky at the top. I'd be replacing Travis Head, as I've mentioned previously before, if Travis Head is coming out of the side, I'm not bringing in a stopgap or like a filler while he's there. I'm bringing in a future player or a future prospect because Travis Head is quite young. If I was bringing in as much as I'd like to see it, I wouldn't be dropping Travis Head for, say, Moises Enriquez, even though he's probably in better form. Because of their age, there's not much potential in that move. Whereas if you're bringing him in for Pekovsky, I like that idea a little bit more because it's adding something and adding a bit of potential to the direction the Australian team's going in. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, we, we've only got reports of how Pekovsky's doing. I mean, obviously, any concussion needs to be taken very seriously. But if he has truly recovered, then I think it is time to potentially chuck him into the squad. If he is batting well and he is confident against the short ball, then yeah, let's let's get this guy a go. Well, that's where we've got to leave some of the chat around the Australian lineup for the Sydney test. We're going to do a quick bit of wrap-up of the Big Bash before we head into this interview with Robolinda, and we have to start with scenes that we're seeing right now on Monday night. Chris Lynn was named as an X-Factor player for the Brisbane Heat in his return for injury, and he has just come on, replacing Kuhneman, who had bowled his one over, went for 11, and he has come on the field. Um, I don't know how I feel about this, Nick, because I'm of the, the belief that if they knew Chris Lynn was going to come on as an X-Factor player, they should have just started him. Instead, you're giving a young player a bit of false hope, putting him in the side and then automatically withdrawing him after 10 overs and after only bowled one. Yeah, I see what you mean. But at the same time, I feel like quite similar to Warner. Chris Lynn's at that sort of 90% recovered from his injury phase. And therefore, by bringing him on as that X factor, it gives him only that 10 overs in the field. And then he can potentially open the batting, just try and smack a few boundaries. And before he eventually um, gets dismissed sometime and hopefully the middle overs and I think that's kind of what they were aiming for, just to restrict the number of overs that Chris Lynn had to spend in the field. 
would 10 overs really make that much of a difference, especially when he's not someone who fields out of the boundary. He fields, say, at cover at mid-wicket, so he wouldn't be doing a lot of running around. Oh, fair enough. I honestly don't know what they were trying to do. I mean, this is what the X Factor is all about, isn't it? Just trying new things, experimenting, seeing what works. And I mean, the whole point of the X Factor that Cricket Australia set themselves was to bring in a new talking point. And this is certainly a talking point. So in that regard, it's it's a successful initiative. Um, but as to why they've done this, I really don't know. I, I, as I said, I just suspect it's to, I guess, reduce the number of overs he has to spend in the field. Look, I get that. It's certainly a talking point. We're talking about it, so I guess job done there. One of the next things we have to look at, Stars took on the Hurricanes down in Hobart on Monday. Seb Gotch was back in the gloves and back in short sleeves. Uh, yes, no, what, what do we think of it, Nick? Oh, I think we can just add it to the list of village cricket things we're seeing on the professional stage. <laughs> I mean, there's been a handful of them. I think we saw in the Sheffield Shield someone bowl with their baggy blue on. Uh, we saw some pretty dodgy haircuts this week in the BBL, and I think... Uh, Wiki keepers with short sleeves can be added to that growing list. And then I guess the last thing we want to look at in the Big Bash, the Renegades, can it get any worse for them? They just keep sinking to new lows and just find ways to get rolled absolutely miserably. I mean, I feel like you've got a pretty strong belief that ever since they won that title, they've just gone completely downhill. Yeah, it's been really ugly, hasn't it? Obviously, that incredible comeback victory in February 2019, which all cricket fans will remember since then, I think they lost their first six or seven games in a row last season. And now they're already not only bottom of the ladder, but they look like no chance of making the finals. I mean, we're we're not even halfway through this BBL yet. And we've already seen the worst loss in terms of runs in BBL history, the second worst loss and the sixth worst loss in the history of BBL cricket. And they were all from the Renegades. It just, and they've never looked good or like, looked at any point in those matches if they're going to win. I mean, they've had a couple of good results outside that, but when they lose, they just lose so badly and it's batting collapse and it's lack of patience with the bat because for the most part, I think their bowlers have done all right. Um, there's been a couple of times where they've been blasted for massive scores, but I don't think their bowlers have done too badly, but just their batsmen, Aaron Finch there and Sam Harper, just not giving them the platform to bowl to. And Sean Marsh as well. He's been their best batsman, I think. But I think they just need to accept they're not very good at chasing. They always seem to do terribly chasing this tournament. So if they can with the, sorry, I was going to say the coin toss, with the bat flip, what they need to try and do is bat first and and set a target because I feel like that's the only way they're going to win any games. Every time they chase, they seem to lose by at least 100 runs, it seems. All right, well, that's a quick wrap of the Big Bash and also the Sydney Test before that. Now it is time for the main event of this podcast, the chat you have all been waiting for. It's time to speak to Robolinda 2, Rob Moody, everyone's favourite cricket video collator. Um, We can't wait for this chat, Nick. Uh, I guess let's get into it. Today's guest on the Boundary Rider podcast. Oh, it is an absolute pleasure to be joined by this man. It's someone Nick and I have admired on Twitter, on social media for a very long time. It is the one and only Rob Moody, or as most people will know him, Robolinda 2. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rob. Yeah, no problem, guys. Always happy to chat cricket anytime. Well, we've had plenty of cricket to chat about at the moment. There is absolutely no shortage. And I guess the best place to start with you is where did your love of cricket start? Through a dislike of Australian rules football in the winter. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, I couldn't stand. I think it was one of the first winters I I remember was 
sometime around 84, 85. And I thought, and back then there was no, no cricket on TV at all in, in the winter. So from March to October, there was absolutely nothing, unless there was an Ashes year or something. And then I just remember thinking, this is the longest winter of all time. And I thought the only way I can counter this is to just have my own library uh, of cricket. And so slowly built it up. So the winters were just full of summer old gold. And did you play much cricket as a kid growing up in the backyard? Were you, were you much of a, a bowler, a batter? What, what sort of backyard repertoire did you have when, you, when it came to cricket? Yeah, I pretty much sucked, but um, <laughs> I still liked it. You can enjoy it and still suck at it. And I still suck at it. Um, but uh, definitely much more of a batsman than a bowler. But uh, seeing as that I sucked as a batsman, you can only imagine what sort of bowler I was. Um, uh, have you ever seen Sean Marsh bowl? <laughs> Something like it was that. One, there was one tour game in the West Indies where I think Sean Marsh rolled the arm over and um, it was one of those scenarios late on day five. And so I can, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. But um, I think much like the both of us, we all love our cricket, but um, we're not all the strongest cricketers, but we do get a chance to it's play wherever we, we can. It's why we watch them on TV because they're a lot better at it than we are, that's for sure. Yeah. Do, do you have a, a first a first memory of watching cricket on the TV or whether it was something you recorded that a specific game or something that sticks in your mind? Yeah, I, I don't remember much of the uh, 82, 83 home season. I was only six, but I do remember thinking I didn't understand what this guy, Kepler Vessels, was playing in the Australian team. I didn't mm. understand that name or anything. And of course, I had no idea that you know, he came from South Africa. Uh, and uh, and he, he had a massive impact uh, on, on that summer in both the Test and the One Days. Um, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure his, his highest score... The score he made on debuting the one day side was the highest score for an Australian batsman in a one day until Phil Hughes debuted in the mm. Australian one day team, uh, which was a random stat. And he, I think he only made 80 or something in 83. And that remained at the top score on debut for a long time. What was the first thing that you recorded that you remember? What was the first time you actually clipped some cricket and kept it in your personal collection? Well, the first thing I've got, I didn't record. Uh, it was just a, a random recording on the end of one of my dad's John Wayne movies that he taped on Channel 9. And afterwards, there was highlights of a day's play. It turns out it was from uh, one of the Ashes tests in 82, 83. And so I kept watching uh, that same day's play and being really annoyed that I didn't know what happened next because it was like day three or something. <laughs> mm. And then I had no idea. So, but I, the first one I taped after that on purpose was probably the next season. So it was probably when the, uh, sometime around the Australia West Indies tied match at the MCG. So early 84, something mm. like that. And do you have a preference of test cricket or ODI cricket? Is there one that you prefer to, to watch? Oh, definitely tests. Right answer. Right Correct. answer. We Correct. Can, yeah. we, can, we can keep him on, Nick. We don't have to get rid of him now. Yeah. We can, that was the dump button. The dump button was ready. We could have just gone, yeah. nah. I mean, 
you can't have seriously expected me to say one day it's surely <laughs> no chance <laughs> and do you still record everything like even though obviously we now have you know, ko and foxcell and all these things do you still record everything that that happens in for example this test summer absolutely um in fact the last few years is it ha has been a bit harder work than others because you've got channel seven's coverage and fox's coverage so i don't want to miss out on Ricky Ponning's commentary, so I've got to tape that on Channel Seven. <laughs> I don't want to miss out on the Fox stuff because it's also good, Gilchrist and everything. So, yeah, so I've got to do both. So that's, uh, yeah, that takes up more time than what it used to. And how do you physically record it? Do you have like a system or a machine that does it? Like, how have you done it, and has it changed over the past few decades as well? Oh, yeah, it's, it's changed enormously over the last decades. Well, anyone that was a kid in the eighties. And 90s, there was only one way, and that was obviously VCR. But then moved into DVD recorders, which is obviously still around, but uh, you know, not uh, as popular as they were. Um, but then again, it's much harder these days to actually record, uh, like you know, KO or something like that. That's obviously difficult. Um, but free to wear is easy. The the uh, the uh, KCV stuff's a little bit tougher. But can be done. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it does the job. But yeah, it's a it's a bit of a pain still. Do do you have any preference in terms of the coverage over the years? Obviously, Channel Nine had it for so long. We had the the greats of the game: Richie Benno's, Bill Laurie's, Tony Gregg's in commentary. Are they the sort of people that you go? That's the pinnacle of cricket coverage. Or have you enjoyed some of the more modern stuff? I've enjoyed some of the modern stuff. I mean, everyone is impressed with Ricky Ponting's just ridiculous commentary. Mm. He, he just he knows what's going on at all times. And you can just imagine him, you know, thinking back now as captain on the field, you know, you can, you know what he's thinking because that's how he commentates, you know. So you can actually imagine what's going on. Whereas when you watched, you know, Mark Taylor, captain, all you thought he was thinking about was how many chews of his gum he's got left at first slip, you know. <laughs> Whereas with Ponting, he talks about the planning going into the next over, you know, and how many times has he called it, you know, right. Mm. It's ridiculous. So you just wonder whether he was doing that as captain. But in, in terms of the commentary, yeah, I mean, almost every time I post up an old video uh, with Richie Banner or Tony Gregg or Bill Laurie, uh, you know, younger people are, are amazed at just how ridiculously different the vibe mm. was and in what those guys brought to the game. And yeah, and you know, lots of people mention about the the too much babbling these days when you got the three commentators on rather than two. And uh, you know, uh, when Richie Berno was at the end end of his commentary career he definitely seemed a bit awkward when he had the three people on mm. air like he couldn't find somewhere to to sort of butt in um so but back in the old days he was the boss he, he ran the coverage you know during during his stint and and that's really uh, excellent to hear and to compare over the decades I think this is the question that everyone wants to know. Just how big is your collection? Like, how how many VHS tapes are we talking? How many VCRs have we got? How many databases have you got? Because you just you seem to pull something out of 
thin air almost every day on Twitter. It's absolutely fantastic. And just how large does that collection go? Yeah, obviously people ask me this all the time and I don't have a definitive answer because I just can't be bothered actually <laughs> counting that far. Um, I mean, I could give extra pocket money to my kids and say, hey, count all these DVDs up. But, uh, you know, they're, they're in the range somewhere getting to about 27,000. And the videos, I don't know, they're all stacked up in the wardrobe. There's there's at least three or 400 in there. And then there's uh, just about 70 to 80 hard drives. They're all about four terabytes upwards each. So there's heaps. There's heaps. It's too Do, much. <laughs> does your partner get annoyed with it if she just finds them lying around the house or how much storage are they taking up in the house at the moment? Well, it she she only gets annoyed when I'm on like the hunt, you know, like say when I was making that uh, Steve War runouts video with oh, all yes. the tons of runouts. I mean, it was just head down for that. 24 hours and I just had stuff everywhere because I, I, I had to pull out stuff from the 80s, 90s, 2000s it spans decades so I had tapes everywhere, DVD folders everywhere all over the floor but she's used to it now so as long as I pack it up it's fine but um, <laughs> yeah it's it's all over the house really I mean if you came to my house you wouldn't see it because everything's all packed away but every wardrobe under the kids bed, under my bed uh, every space that that I could store the footage I'm making use of. Have your kids got a, a real interest in cricket now as a result of sort of your passion for it? No. No, they oh. couldn't. Uh, they, they, they just, they just sort of troll me about it daily, you know, um, especially teenagers these days. They're, you know, they're pretty witty and, you know, um, uh, complete smart ass and so it's uh you know they they get some good ones in uh which is good um i'm very proud <laughs> there's been some uh, obviously some good sledges on the field that in the tapes that you've released are, are they matching the sort of that sort of caliber uh it depends on the sort of uh, hurtful factor they're really going for <laughs> um so yeah some yeah yeah, yeah some you know, they, they hurt a, a little bit, you know, um, you know, just, just random stuff like, you know, uh, when you die, we're not going to bury you with all the tapes because it'd be too expensive. So we'll just throw them out, you know, <laughs> just dumb stuff like that. There was a, um, there was a moment last year, which um, caused an uproar among the Australian cricket community when Cricket Australia took down some of your content or they, you know, tried to restrict it on your page and thankfully it was quickly resolved. Did they get in touch with you? Did they apologize for that? Was there any communication with Cricket Australia about that? Well, that was a very confusing day because it was completely unexpected. What happened was uh, I posted up the now classic video of Shane Warne and Marlon Samuels at the MCG. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I just saw it on a hard drive and I thought, oh, that's not been up on here for a while or not at all. I'll chuck it up. I was thinking 2013, that's pretty good. That's not too recent. Turns out it was too recent and it was taken down on Twitter, not on YouTube. Um, I kind of thought Twitter was pretty safe for that stuff because I hadn't had any trouble yet on Twitter. Um, 
but uh, it turns out I was wrong <laughs> and it was taken down. And I know it's all automated. It's not like there's one guy sitting there going, oh, I've got this guy now, you know. <laughs> um, it, it was just an automatic takedown. And, and the response after that was also automated saying, you know, any other, uh, you know, uh, material that I've uploaded that uh, could be a copyright violation must also be taken down. And that's when I just, yeah, I just, I post on Twitter, like, you're seriously gonna make me go back 10 years and delete every video. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, a bit of a stink on Twitter for a few hours, but I'd given up. I'm like, just delete my account. <laughs> I just can't be bothered with this stuff anymore. It's gone on for 10 years. Um, but uh, yeah, Cricket Australia did reverse the, the copyright infringement, but it was too late because I'd already deleted the videos anyway. <laughs> so it didn't make any difference in the end. Um, uh, because that, that's your natural response when you get a copyright violation on a video, you just delete it straight away, delete the video. It's mm. like, what's the point? Um, so it didn't do any good that it was overturned. But people mistakenly think that I've got some sort of uber protection going on <laughs> by Cricket Australia is just not true. I can get pinged at any point. And if I upload things that are too recent or regarded as too current, um, uh, I wouldn't want to be doing that and then having to, you know, act all shocked the next time I get pinged because mm. I'm sure, you know, uh, I don't want to, to get into a situation where uh, I have to keep getting bailed out all the time because of my own stupidity. So, yeah. Mm. Do you have like a rule of a specific date range of how far you can go back with your content? Is it 10 years? Is it a bit longer? Well, it depends on the content. So, it, the goalposts change so often and you don't get told. You only know when you either get in trouble or someone else you know gets in trouble or has their channel terminated. Um, uh, so at the moment, uh, I can't let, upload anything from 1992 onwards. That's an ICC event. So World Cups, Champions, Trophies, anything like that. So that's good. ICC did email me and to, to give me a heads up on that. So that's good. Um, so that's, that they've been really good in the, in saying that they like the content and just keep, you know, uploading the really old stuff. If you can, if you can keep to that. Uh, but as far as everything else, yeah. I mean, England from about 99 onwards is risky. India, anything is risky you just never know <laughs> you just never know with australia i generally stick to sort of the last 10 years i avoid if possible uh but yeah it, you know i mean even 1992 itself i mean can you imagine imagine it's 28 years ago <laughs> who cares mm. Mm. <laughs> So that's, that's frustrating. Yeah, I can imagine. I can certainly imagine. But um, I think it kind of pays off because over the coronavirus break, uh, the lockdown, you became such a popular figure and there were articles popping up everywhere about the service you were doing for the Australian public. What sort of feedback have you received from the Australian public and what does their support mean as you continue to do this? Well, it's kind of funny because I haven't 
done anything different than I've been doing for the last 10 years. <laughs> um, I think it was the case that there was just a lot more people at home. Just everyone was at home, you know, the fans, the, the players themselves, past players, everyone, pe people that wouldn't usually have an hour to sit down and scroll through Twitter because they're in lockdown. So, uh, and that was, that was a good thing. And not just me, but tons of other uploaders that produce content and everything and share footage, you know, the, it was just a monstrous amount um, that was put out there. And that's great because that's what you want to see, you know, because Twitter can be, and social media in general, can be pretty negative place, lots of whinging, you know, um, and just general hate comments and everything and just dumb stuff. So you want to you want to keep it positive and interesting, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it it's great that you know uh, people enjoy it. You know, I I still think I have a relatively small niche <laughs> group of viewers. Um, you know, uh, it just seems small to me. But uh, um, I I am shocked sometimes when someone will say, you know. You know, hey Rob, I, I watched your videos when I was twelve. Now I'm showing my kids. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh my god, that's that's you know going to a different generation. You know, mm -hmm. um, but that's just a miracle of, of of the channel still being alive after this long. You mentioned earlier the the dark side of social media, and one thing you did call out recently on Twitter was sometimes uh, critics from India claim that you have a bias against Indian cricketers and um, you quite quickly responded to that. Um, can you elaborate on why you think you get that kind of reception and what your response is when people say you uh, have a bias against Indian cricketers? Just today, uh, I've been called uh, an, an Australian hater, <laughs> a South African hater, <laughs> India hater, Pakistan hater, happens every day. <laughs> well, people see videos uh, in just the the smallest context, you know. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, and how many people have watched all two and a half thousand videos, you know. So, you know, uh, even my videos that are just dumb and supposed to be sarcastic, obviously some people think or take it differently, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure I've called out everything on my channel over the years from every country. So <laughs> it's, uh, uh, but then again, that's YouTube. You know, you, you scroll through your feed on YouTube or your subscriptions or whatever, or your, your recommendations on the right. You could come across any one video and no one goes to that, to every channel and to see how many other videos they've got. So someone sees a video of Shane Watson getting at LBW and they're like, you know, you must be Indian. You know, um, you know, um, I say, no, no, no. If you Google me, you'll see that I'm pretty much Aussie <laughs> and not just, not just pretty much. <laughs> um, so it's just things taken out of context, basically. And one, one thing that a lot of people don't know about your YouTube channel is the lack of monetization. You, you don't make a cent from what you do. It's no. just basically out of passion. Like, can you elaborate on that a bit and what spurs you to keep going, even though there's no financial gain from it? Well, I always thought that uh, it was just wrong in general. And, but very early on, back in 2009, just before I started the channel, 
I was looking up other cricket channels on YouTube and saw a lot of ads and random stuff. And those channels didn't last very long. They all got terminated. And uh, and when I started, people said, oh, you should make some money from it. And I said, well, all the good channels that I've seen, they're either terminated for, for making money off it or terminated for uploading recent footage. So I thought, well, if I don't do those two things, then I've got some chance of staying alive. Uh, and yeah, I, I only monetized one video ever. And it was a video of my son singing the national anthem. I monetized it for about half a day. <laughs> and I think I got five cents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we can say Roblin has made money from his YouTube channel. That yeah, five cents, and that was back in two thousand and yeah, mm. late two thousand ten. Mm. Um, uh, well, I thought it, I wanted to do it to see what the process was like. So with the process, uh, when you apply, they scan your channel and they tell you what footage uh, they deem to be uh, allowed to uh to monetize and that was the only video i had <laughs> the video of my son singing, singing the anthem in in our bathroom so it was more like a test case just to see how the process worked and I, and the funny thing is i didn't even get the five cents <laughs> it's still sitting it's out still there it's 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 out there somewhere um which is pretty funny so uh I don't think I even put any bank account info into it. I just wanted to see the process to see how it worked. But it was so long ago, it's probably different now. But there, there, there's no point because uh, yeah, as I've shown people the screenshot from my, from my account, it says this account is not eligible for monetization. So I can't if I wanted to now, it wouldn't happen anyway. So it's a moot point. Is there a favorite clip that you've had over the years? Obviously you've had met plenty go viral. You've had plenty of things picked up in the mainstream, but what's your favorite clip up from over the years? Well, I've always liked the one where I did a compilation of all the fours that Glenn McGrath hit in test cricket. Oh, and, Cause that's just completely random and such a crazy dumb <laughs> idea to even think of that. I just had to do it. Um, uh, for my own benefit only. Uh, that's a pretty cool video. It goes for an hour. Can you believe there's an hour oh. of Glenn McGrath hitting fours? And they aren't just all dropped catches in the slips or you know French cuts down to <laughs> down to fine leg. There's actually some really good shots in there. Uh, the other video, which I've been threatening to upload for years now, is a video of every single David Boone cut shot Ooh. in his international career. They go, that goes for about an hour as well. And that's just gold. So you've got um, that sitting there. That's, that's, that's for a rainy, that rainy day. Yeah, it is. It's pretty great. Um, especially as you can see the evolution in his cut shot from 1984 all, all the way to the end in, in, in 96. And uh, especially <laughs> against the West Indies at Perth, there's some just, just some rocket cut shots. That's pretty cool. I guess on a similar note, obviously you've got your own favourite videos, but what has gone the most viral over the last however long you've been doing this? Yeah, there's a bit of a five-way race that's uh, that's that's been happening for about five years. There's, there's five videos all around about the 23 million views mark. Uh, one is the Shell Bakhtar bounce at a Shane Watson 
which is the most useless video I reckon I've ever uploaded. Nothing happens. Someone asked me like 10 years ago, oh, Shabbat bowled a bouncer at the Gabba to Shane Watson that was reminiscent of a Jeff Thompson bouncer that, you know, the famous one that didn't bounce and went to hit the side screen on the full. And I, I thought, oh yeah, I, I reckon I've got that one up. I, I put it up and I thought that's just a dumb video. And it's, it's always in the top 10 viewed every month for 10 years. Nothing happens. Um, and the other one is the 2006, I think it's the DLF Cup in Malaysia with where Tendulkar was given out. And as he's walking off, the umpire changes his mind ah. and recalls him Ooh. and <laughs> Ponting uh, uh, cracks a bit of a spaz at the umpire as he was known to do sometimes. Uh, I think this one was probably quite rightly because, you know, the umpire literally just changed his mind, uh, mm. and which is pretty, which is a pretty bizarre incident, but uh, of which I've never seen before. So yeah, that those two are always up there with the the most popular. But yeah, but the Shane Watson bounce one, I got no idea why people even like mm. that. <laughs> Have you had a favourite piece of engagement with a former player? Obviously, Warney's picked up on your your videos in the last twelve months and has been sharing a lot of them. But is there there a player that? you've seen like your stuff on Twitter or YouTube and you kind of pinch yourself and going, wow, that's actually this Australian cricketer that I've sort of watched for years engaging with the stuff I'm putting out. Well, actually the, the best one was earlier, I was going to say this year, earlier last year, um, where I posted a video of Jeff Boycott's first innings in test cricket in colour. It was only available in black and white. And the cool thing was he commented on it but then everyone else that that also commented uh, were asking him questions about his technique back then and so it was this huge thread where he was talking about his coaching and when he played that shot there in the video that was because this particular coach said he had to you know uh, not stand so straight and I thought that was absolutely cool like you're getting commentary on the video you know <laughs> From the guy himself, you know, um, but uh, it probably doesn't beat the the all time best one, which is actually in person. When I uh, I saw Bill Laurie down my shops outside of Priceline, and I thought I've got to go for showing something from my channel, so uh, I showed him a video of one of his innings at the MCG in 1966 Ashes, and he's literally commentating on his own batting <laughs> so we're standing outside of Priceline and and he's going like you know oh shot before you know and useless bowler you know all this sort of stuff <laughs> useless pommy bowler and that was pretty funny and then he, he his wife comes out of Priceline and he goes oh I love check out this you know this guy's got my my uh my batting on his on his phone and his wife said in completely dryly, she goes, wow, I didn't think I'd meet someone more boring than you. <laughs> oh, come on. It's Bill Laurie. <laughs> I know. I'm like, Gosh. oh, geez, a bit harsh. Um, Maybe you get some pigeon pigeon flying up there on, on your channel. That can be the next category that we go into, branch out into. Well, no joke. One of his pigeons did land in my front yard. Really? Yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, it wasn't Wendy. 
it, it did have oh. a tag on it, but it wasn't Wendy. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was about five or six years ago, because um, uh, his his place is, is not far from here. Very serendipitous. Uh, is there one player that you're hanging out to have engaged with your contact in your content or getting contact with about what you're doing? No, not really. And uh, I don't really think about that, that stuff, but people do ask me all the time and, you know, others make more of an effort to engage. I mean, I, I don't want to be a, some annoying Twitter guy, just, you know, constantly tagging my favorite player in the hope, in the hope that I please get a like, you know, like that stuff's just dumb. Um, I'm too old for that stuff. <laughs> In six years, I'll be 50. And I, I, I don't really care about <laughs> uh, that sort of stuff. But, uh, uh, but the younger people do because it's their domain. You know, they, you know I, I guess they, they, they see social media differently. I, I just like to show cool stuff to the fans who want to see it, you know. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff to show. For sure. And outside of cricket, uh, you're also a bit of a keen musician. Can you tell us a bit about what you do in terms of music? Locke and I do a bit of musical theatre when we can, but oh, yeah. um, you're, a bit of a, you're a bit of a guitarist, we hear. Yeah, I'm a guitarist and, and I play the sax as, as well. It's sitting right Ooh. here. Um, uh, I've, I've been playing for 28 years and it is my job. Um, uh, and yeah, I've been playing in bands uh, for a long, long time. And uh, usually this time of the year, I'd be on, on, on a cruise ship somewhere, um, partying away. But this year, stuck at home. But, uh, and I've got a guitar teaching studio uh, down here, uh, uh, which has opened back up again, thanks to lockdown ending only like six weeks ago. So that's good. But yeah, between cricket and guitar, takes up all my time. Do you possibly know the Wide World of Sports cricket theme tune. Surely that's one of the first yeah, things yeah, learned, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. There it goes. Ah. Something like that. Oh, well, if Channel, 9 get the, acoustic. Channel 9 get the rights back, I think they need to sign you up for the new theme tune. <laughs> Yeah, you I think we have to use that as a as a new podcast intro. I think that has to be the new intro to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and and uh, last one from me. Um, obviously, the third test match starts in a few days. There's a lot of talk about the starting eleven, but Rob, who would you pick as the opening batsman for the test match in Sydney? I don't think it'll matter. I think uh, it's pretty bad. I I think. They had to try Burns earlier in the series, but no one expected much and he didn't do much. Um, hey, but he's scored a 50 and that's more than Smith, Labashane, anyone else has done. Um, but yeah, getting out early and looking terrible and everyone saw it. For Sydney, if David Warner can walk, he can bat. So you've got to play him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wade's done okay opening. He's toughed it out. He's not looked bad. He hasn't played a miss every, every other ball. He's looked pretty solid. I, I, I think I'd, I'd keep him. I wouldn't go Harris, but I can see how they would go Harris if Pekoski's not 
up to it, and who knows if he's ever going to be up to it. Um, yeah, it's it's tough, but I reckon Wade Warner with either Travis Head staying in or maybe Moses Henrique's coming in. I'm not really sure. It it, it all depends on on Warner's fitness and whether Will is uh, up for it. Other, if if everything is good and everyone's ready to go, then I'd go with Warner and Pukowski for sure. One final one for me. Is there anything, obviously you mentioned the David Byrne video, anything that you're sitting on that you've gone, oh, I just don't want to release that. I, I'm kind of happy I can keep this one to myself. Absolutely tons, tons and tons and tons. Just so much is, is not funny. I mean, whatever I've uploaded is the smallest speck of a percentage of to what I've actually got. So there's heaps I'd love to upload where I think, oh, I could upload this for like an hour. And, you know, if people get to see it in that hour, then good on them because then, then, then I'll take it down in case I get a copyright strike. But uh, yeah, there's too much. I mean, basically anything from the last 20 years, you know, is a risk. So you think of how much cricket's been played in that 20 years, you know, that people have forgotten about, you know. Um, and yeah, but heaps of it is just too risky, you know. Like imagine uploading ball by ball of Laxman's 281. And I could do the whole lot, but I might as well just go cut my wrists. <laughs> and I'd just it'd be a suicide upload. So, yeah, but that's just unfortunate. So I can watch that myself, but that's all I can do. And finally, any big projects coming up in the next couple of months or this year that you've got planned? What can we see from and expect from Robolinda 2 in 2021? I have absolutely no idea, but... Uh, I come up with ideas every day and some are big, some are small and other people give me ideas as well. So, uh, but there's nothing I'm working on at the moment that's uh, all, all that big, um, but uh, you just never know. Cool ideas come up all the time and we just see what happens every day. So you're open for a quest. That's what we're hearing at the moment a little bit as oh, well. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. And we can't wait to see plenty more videos on your Twitter accounts on YouTube over the coming months and years. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, how about that, Nick? Uh, not bad on the guitar, old Mr. Moody there. Oh, what a champion. I want to hear him play saxophone as well. I regret not asking him to whip out the sax. I mean, oh. I, I, haven't, I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I played saxophone for my HSC at school, so I was about to propose a little duet there over Zoom. <laughs> that would be a cricketing power duet if we have ever heard it. Well, for me personally, I love hearing about just some of the videos that he has still up his sleeve that maybe they're in the cupboard somewhere for a rainy day. I really want to see that David Boone one he was talking about. He seemed to wax lyrically about that one. So that's going to be a good one whenever he decides to drop that. But for me, it's just the passion. I love that he does this because he just loves cricket. And anyone knows that if you're doing something purely out of the passion for it, it know you know it's going to be good and you know the results are going to come from it. Yeah, spot on. He hasn't made a cent. Well, he's made five cents. from Five his, cents. Five cents from his uh, YouTube escapades. But exactly right. He was... One of the highlights of, of the coronavirus lockdown for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people as well. And hopefully very soon he comes up with a Michael Hussey cover drive compilation as well, because growing up, that was for me the, the best part of the Australian test team, the Michael Hussey drive through the covers. 
Well, if, if somehow you haven't heard of Roblander 2 of Rob Moody, make sure to check out his, firstly, Twitter page, at uh, Roblinda 2 That's Rob or Ro, R-O, Blinder 2 Some cracking videos on there. He's got over almost 60,000 followers now and just is absolutely fantastic. And as you mentioned, he's also a very good guitarist and musician. He does cruises with an Australian in excess show on Royal Caribbean cruise lines and things like that. He's a pro guitarist, teaches guitar lessons. Um, so yeah, whether it's Twitter or YouTube, you want to look him up or even his guitar work, make sure to follow him up. Now we're going to chat a few more things before we end the episode. Nick, we have to go over the ditch to the Kiwis before we get into what's happening in the second test, that first test against Pakistan, what a thrilling finish that was with Mitch Santner finally getting in, tasting a bit of glory for the Black Caps. It's been so long since I can remember a test match with such a thrilling finish. I think we have to mm. go back to the Ashes in 2019. But yeah, exactly right. There was a fantastic partnership in the middle order, which made it seem as though it was going to be just another draw. But then Wagner and Santner in that final session just... Played through the pain. I think um, Wagner had two broken toes was what was reported. And they got those wickets with, I think, less than six overs le- left in the day. And the Santner wicket to finish it off, that little chip and the one-handed catch above his head and uh, the crowd and players just went ballistic. It was um, oh, a really exciting finish. And um, I think it actually put New Zealand to number one on the test rankings. I- I'm not sure that's confirmed, but it looks like for the first time in, in history, New Zealand are the top of the test rankings. I think it is provisional. Uh, they mm. usually confirm rankings at the end of the series, but pretty much that right now, if they were to do rankings, they are top spot and they're in with a chance of that World Test Championship final at Lords, which would be fantastic because it's next to guarantee that it will be Australia they're taking on. So that would be fantastic to see over there. But let's talk Kane Williamson. He's just turned up again. I mean, is this guy quickly becoming the best batsman in the world outright? Obviously, he's in New Zealand. He's in his home condition, so it's certainly helping him there. But he's finished day two of the second test against Pakistan in Christchurch on 112 not out. It's yet another century. I saw a great stat that he has scored a century in every match since he got his wife pregnant, I believe it is. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, it's been fantastic for him. And just how good is he going to get and how good is he right now? Where do you rank him? Because he's he's 30 years old. He's still got at least five, six years, and he's so close to notching up that 7,000 run mark. Yeah, I would say now, I would say he is the best test batsman in the world at the moment. I think obviously because of the lack of form from Coley and Smith and there aren't many other competitors. So I will say that, yeah, Williamson is the best. But um, not only that, I think it's, Pretty clearly, he's New Zealand's greatest ever test batsman. I, I can't think of anyone that stands out as a competitor. Kane Williamson is rivaling the greats in, in Black Caps cricket, and hopefully there's still another six, seven years of his test career to go as well, which is really exciting because he's not only a talented player, but he seems like a really genuine, lovely person. He certainly does. And you think of some of the other names that could be up there in terms of batting in New Zealand, you think... Stephen Fleming, I mean, he's one that definitely comes to mind. But beyond that, really, it is Kane Williamson. I mean, Ross Taylor is probably the other one at the moment. Brendan McCullum's up there and definitely Martin Crow. I think, a little bit before our time. But I think by the end of, by the time it's all said and done, Kane Williamson will definitely go to the top of that list. I think so. I mean, he's in a purple patch. He's been in one for four or five years. I think since 2016, 
he's averaged some ridiculous figure like 68, 70 with the bat and test cricket, like something ridiculous like that. So yeah, hopefully he can continue this. And the next time New Zealand do tour, whether it be Australia or somewhere else, he can continue that form because I'm still not convinced he can gather the same runs overseas as he does at home. One thing I just want to uh, point out is it's often said that if your bowling average is below your batting average, you can be considered an all-rounder in oh. test cricket. Well, Kane Williamson is averaging in the, the low-ish 50s. His test bowling average is actually 40.65. He's taken 29 wickets in his 82 matches. So, I mean, just putting it out there, we could consider Kane Williamson an all-rounder technically, but if the stats are right. Look, yes, that's true. But I think if you use that same figure, <laughs> then you'd find that Labuschagne and Steve Smith are both all-rounders as well. So I don't necessarily buy into that necessarily. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, is there any other uh, cricket around the world you want to take a look at? I mean, Sri Lanka have been pretty poor for the most part over in South Africa, and it looks like continuing again in the second test over in Johannesburg. Yeah, I think they are just being outclassed by the South Africans at the moment. But the one thing to come out of that test match um, before the New Year's break was Faf Duplessis. So his highest test score before that match was somewhere in the 130s. He had six or seven test centuries to his name, but had never sort of converted one of them into a big century. But he finally got that chance against Sri Lanka and made his way to, I think it was 199 before, mm. I think just doing a bit of a Shane Warne and skying one towards mid on. And the reaction from his teammates was um, pretty devastating, really. Well, it's good to see that Dean Elgar has also turned up in his second test match. And another one that I just want to point out that Australian audiences might not have seen too much of yet is um, Anrik Norche, uh, the, the very quick, very tall, fast bowler. Did some really good stuff in the the IPL this year and the 27-year-old has cleaned up again. He took six wickets in the first innings for six for 56, so some very good figures there. All right, Nick, time to wrap this episode up, but we can't do it without going through our Savage Seeds for the week. What is yours, my good friend? Well, my seed this week is, um, well, this was something that was actually brought up, I think, by Jeff Lemon in his podcast. This was probably, uh, must be seven or eight months ago now, but um, at the time it gained a bit of traction on Twitter, but then kind of died out, but I want to bring it back. And that is that Rob Moody deserves an Order of Australia medal. I concur. Let's start the petition now. Get it going because <laughs> he does so much good work. And yeah, it's just fantastic. And for his work in lockdown, keeping people entertained without a doubt, it makes sense. You know it does. I mean, if Ben Stokes can get knighted, then I think Rob Moody deserves an, Austro- an Order of Australia medal, surely. I mean, that seems like a fair compromise. Would you like to hear my Savage Seed for this week? Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed that this season of the Big Bash is slowly becoming one of the best seasons we have ever seen. Oh, the be- the best ever. Okay. Why is that? Uh, I might not necessarily go the best ever, but definitely I reckon one of the top two or three, just because we've had some really good matches with close results. I feel like we've seen a little bit more of a contest in terms of games coming down to the last over, which is really nice if you sort of ignore the Renegades matches. We've seen some really good highlights. Some of the highlights in terms of catching – I mean, Darcy Short's one the other day, the one-handed grab was spectacular. And then Andre Fletcher today against the Hurricanes took two of the best grabs you were ever going to see. But also some of the batting too, that we've seen plenty of sixes hit by the likes of Alex Hales, just clearing the rope for fun. Daniel Hughes' innings the other day. I mean, there are so many that you can name. You go, oh, this innings was good, but so was this innings. And I just, I feel like if you look back at 
maybe in particular the last two or three seasons, you don't you just don't have that as much. Whereas this season, you can really pinpoint specific games and hearts and go, oh, that game was really good. That game was really good. And I don't necessarily think it's to do with any of the rule changes per se, but I just do think that overall the quality of the cricket has improved. And for me, the one thing I really love is we've seen more West Indies players and boy, have they brought some Caribbean flair to the, the competition. Oh, certainly. Nicholas Puran with the Melbourne Stars. His first innings is one of the best I've seen in the Big Bash. And no, definitely the quality of the cricket has been the highest I've seen in the Big Bash for a while, for sure. Um, I, I think the power surge rule has what made some of the games more high scoring. So we've seen some some bigger scores throughout this competition. And yeah, when the Brisbane Heat and the Melbourne Renegades aren't chasing, it is a high quality of cricket. So hopefully this can continue through to the finals because, um, yeah, I... I I'm enjoying the Big Bash more than I usually do, actually, if I'm being if I'm being very honest. I agree. And I think, yeah, it's just the quality of cricket has felt really good that when you watch it, you know you, you're going to get a good match. So, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. I've loved seeing the Spice Man down at the Stars with Puran being, playing so well. There's been some really good international talent. I thought David, David Milan has been really good for the Hurricanes as well since he's sort of started and gotten out of quarantine. That Some of the English players that have come in have been really good. James Vince is doing well for the Sixers. Um, obviously Hales, as I mentioned before, Lewis Gregory up at um, the Heat. But then also we've seen some really good young unheralded players come through. I think Hatcher at the Stars has done a really good job with his death bowling. Baisley at the Heat has been a phenomenon in terms of some of his hitting. So we're getting a lot of good storylines out of this tournament that aren't the typical storylines of your, your Chris Lins, your Glenn Maxwells, that we're seeing new players stand up and make a name for themselves. And I, for one, absolutely love it. I just miss Jason Holder. He's only been gone a week. I miss oh, him already. He was such a good little pickup for the the Sixers, and interesting because I don't believe he's going on the the tour of Bangladesh with the West Indies, but I think he well and truly deserves some time at home. Nick, that is where we are going to leave it. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, the whole shebang. We are everywhere across the internet. Nick, thank you for joining me again today. Thank you, my good man. Always a pleasure. And we'll catch you on the other side of the SCG test. (laughs) 